Back at Redwall, John sneaks out of Cavern Hole to write for a bit, but his mood is soured by the sight of the magpies filching food from the trees. He returns in time to be bowled over by Mangiz, who's being chased by Constance. The crow gets away and he's led up. John is led downstairs. He learns his wife, Cornflower, and Rollo have been kidnapped by the birds. He has to be restrained, only stopped by a stern word from the abbot. We learn the three had been in the bell tower the other day and missed their chance to get inside. They must have been caught trying to get back in. My thing is, Basically, my thing here is, after what happened with the Dibbons and the children who got snatched, why did they not mm -hmm. take the time to make sure everybody was there? Because plot. It's stupid. It is. They should have learned. I agree with you. Constance should have known better, at least. Because she, you know, makes a mistake and learns from it. But plot. Plot. Fucking C-plot. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, okay, I can understand. They're all discombobulated after the kids get snatched because they were drugged. With this, it's like, okay, Birds. And we all had to get back inside Birds. Cavern Hole. Okay, quick head count to make sure everybody's here. Mm -hmm. Fucking idiots. Idiots. The, who has the brain cell? Cornflower has it. Cornflower and Mrs. Churchmouse, clearly. They have the brain cell and no one else has the fucking brain cell. <laughs> Rolo might as well have it at this point. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love that you're just like, go off. Listen, anyway. it is oh, 8 o'clock yeah. at night for me. I am kind of hungry because I know food is out outside of my room. Go get a snack. No, I'll keep it's eating fine. It's fine. I will be fine. But it, I know. I've got two cookies right here. Popeyes. Um. It's Popeyes chicken tendies. I'm so excited. I the last to time I actually them. saw Popeyes. I'm so sorry you live in the middle of fuck nowhere. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't eat it even when I had one available because it was like on the wrong side of the city where I lived in California. Like wrong um, side isn't too far away, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was on the wrong side of Shaw. It was like a 50 minute drive Ooh, from our house. Gross. So. It's only like maybe 15 minutes to get to the one here. Clovis and Fresno are fucking big. The, and we live like way out in the boonies. The nearest fast food place to me was a subway in the gas station that I worked at for four years, Gross. which was like 10 minutes from our house. If we wanted to get fast food, we had to drive 20 or 30 minutes into town. Gross. So I'm so sorry. Yeah, Save us least, a lot of money, though. Yeah. <laughs> and at least where you live now, one, you don't pay rent. <laughs> Uh, well, I do, but it's it's more voluntary. Yeah, and also, like, even if you were paying rent on, like, your own place, it's probably cheap as fucking hell there. It depends on what you get, yeah. Like, you, um, if you need, like, a small house or something, or, like, I don't know if there are apartments there. There are, and most of them are pretty decently priced. Like, if I wanted to get one, I think with utilities, it'd be about 600 a month. Hey, Kit, do you want to know how much I pay for a two-bedroom apartment with it's gonna water <laughs> and trash pickup and basic cable included uh it's we pay uh over a thousand dollars uh-huh and that's not counting we have to pay for our own electric and our own internet well like don't worry i do choose to stay here my cousin <laughs> up in billings has asked me many many times to come live with her and i've told her not on your life <laughs> yeah no like <laughs> i do not it, want to it, live in billings <laughs> and also um, living like 
This is really important for anybody listening. Living with your parents is not something to be ashamed of. The it is expensive to live on your own uh-huh. and even with roommates it's expensive. I mm-hmm. we all three of us still live paycheck to paycheck. I don't have mm-hmm. a savings. They both have savings, but they had savings from before they moved, whereas mine got eaten up by bad decisions and bad roommates and now I struggle. Uh mm-hmm. if you if your parents will still let you live at home, do it. Even if you have to pay them like some rent. Or, like, buy mm-hmm. your own groceries. Fucking do it. That is so much fucking cheaper. It's so much fucking mm-hmm. cheaper. And also, you have a safety net. Again, like, I, I am 31. I still live with my parents. And I I help out around the house. I help pay for things. I own my own. I, I own and pay off my own car. I've paid off all the loans. In fact, mom keeps nagging me to get a credit card so I can get my credit to don't, stay good because I don't, don't, I don't have any loans. Don't get a credit card. I don't have card. any loans to pay. Don't get a credit card. I don't want one. I don't want one. So find a <sighs> find a bill that you pay for and see if you can't apply it towards your credit. Yeah, um, I'll, you may be I'll able to do out. that with your phone bill. Maybe it is. It is the most expensive thing I have next to my. Yeah. Uh, you insurance. would have but anyway, to call. Long, anyway. Long, long ramble short, uh, the nuclear family is a lie. Live with your multi-generational family and be happy because you guys are keeping a lot of knowledge and saving money that way because screw capitalism. Unless if your uh, parents fucking suck and then you are completely yeah. allowed to move away from them because they fucking suck. 100%. Find All your right, own family. Story, Find your own family. Found family good. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Ironbeak has them and he demands yeah, and has demanded they speak at noon outside. In the attic, the ladies settle into a corner to try and stay out of the way. Ironbeak and the birds who've been with him are in a sorry, bedraggled state from the mole trap. Irritated and insulted, he threatens them, as does Mangiz. Neither Cornflower or Miss Churchmouse back down. Their only worry is for Baby Rolla. So, okay. They're talking about, like, the birds can smell how bad they smell. Birds can't smell very well. This is also a world where this bird can have magic visions and they also are able to talk and, you know. Listen, I, I, I need you I need you to understand where I'm coming from. Danielle no, is one I'm of my friends. Danielle, I'm... Red-Tailed Hawk 90 on Twitter.com. <laughs> Resident no, Red-Tailed Hawk lover who owns a it. Red-Tailed Hawk. I understand. They do. Birds can't smell very well, unless they're buzzards. Yes, that's and different. I mean like, and I mean like, I mean vulture buzzards, not the buzzards we see later in this book. Old, because, old, uh, old world buzzards is what you're talking about. Old yeah. world vultures. They can smell, yeah. but that's different. They're built different. <laughs> These are crows, I mean... and there's a crow, a raven, some rooks, some magpies, and then we get an owl. They can't smell very well. They cannot. So it's like, no. Yeah, they're probably like, eh, 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 our feathers. Eh, this is gross. This feels bad. I think it's more. But also, yeah, I think it's more the feathers that upset them. But it's still like, it's written as if they can smell it. Yeah. And I'm just like, they can't. Like they probably can a little bit because it does smell extremely bad. So they're probably aware mm-hmm. that they smell bad. But, and then but. Baby Rolo calls them a slur. The same slur from earlier because he, he is in the parroting phase of his life. He heard um, it. He heard it from who said it before? Was it Mrs. Churchmouse? It was Ambrose, I think. Maybe Ambrose or 
Somebody said it. It wasn't. And he it, wasn't it, up. it wasn't one of the ladies. I know that much. Yeah, he said uh, it, and like but, it got picked up, and now he's like, "I'ma call them a slur," and it's like, "Baby, you don't even know what you're saying. You're baby." The only speaking of them, uh, they share memories of their children, confident they will return and bring Matthias back with them. It is a very kind of cute moment between the two older women talking about their it kids is. because like their relationship is so good they pass the bestial test they really repeatedly. do repeatedly like that's one thing is these books don't like yes we get the weird comp het nonsense with a lot of these books and cornflower did not really pass the bechdel test last time because the not only words she spoke were to matthias Mm-hmm. But, like, in this book, t- flying colors. Flying colors. So. Where the women in these books that are mentioned multiple times speak to other women about things besides the main male characters of these books. Usually it's about fighting. Or, in the case of these two older s- mothers, like full-time mothers, they are talking about their children with each other. Mm-hmm. Or their husbands. And... You know, it's very and like cute. even when they do talk they're about men, friends. it's their husbands they're talking about. So that's very fair. Yeah, it's different than it's like, because a lot of times, like, when you have these things, like, technically a woman talking about her husband doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. But with the way that this is, I'm willing to give it, like, a pass. Like, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but it's not the same, you know? It's not the same as modern media with this kind of shit. Because right, of, you can't always judge everything along the same yeah, uh, act, rule. Like, yeah, same mm-hmm. test. There's well, multiple okay. tests. <laughs> as, you like, as, you, as I like to bring up, uh, the Dragon Rise of Pern series was considered extremely feminist for the time. Now we look back at it and go, ouch, mm, not great. Well, but it's the, the same time thing. it was put out. Yeah, it's the, because it's the same thing as uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. When it came yeah. out, was huge for like, people in like the trans community or in like the the gender non gender non conforming mm-hmm. community cuz not even necessarily trans just gender non conforming mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um nowadays we look back at it and Hedwig and the Angry Inch as well we look mm-hmm. back at both of these pieces of media and we're like ooh what the fuck but they're still important and they're important to our history it's like mm-hmm. dragon riders of pern i will look at it and i will go no but I also understand how much it meant to people at the time, you know? What it means to people nowadays, even. I still need to look up the one written by her granddaughter. Maybe I'll see if it's on uh Ooh, Dark I should also yet. do that. Uh, I haven't read any, I... like, more recent Dragon Riders of Pern books because I read, like, the three shorter books and then that, you know, the one, like, compendium of stories with the purple cover? Um, I think so. Isn't it called, like, is it the one called The Gift of Dragons? No. Okay. I have it somewhere. I just don't know where. But it's, like, a bunch of It's the ones written by her son, right? No, no, no. These were written by her. Oh, okay. No, these ones were written by her. Um, The fuck? Oh, Chevy laughed. I was like, what is that sound? Um, But it's, like, just a bunch of, like, stories, and they're all related. Um, Okay. That's where the... That's that's where the book with Ruth in it is. Uh, hmm? The White Dragon? Oh. Oh yes, I've got the white like I I have read it up to the end of the Avis arc. 
See, I didn't um, read any of this in order because these were the ones that my mom had. Oh, she had okay. the three shorter books, like Dragon Song, Dragon Drums, whatever they all are. You mm-hmm. know, those ones. And then this compendium. Mm-hmm. And those are okay. all of them that I have read. I started to read another oh. one that I found in a store, not realizing it was the second in a trilogy, and was like, okay, Oops. we're putting this back. <laughs> I don't know anything about this one, and I don't want to start in the middle of a series. Uh-huh. Um, but, oh, damn, it's not available yet. Rip. Yeah, not on Thrift Books anyway. It's a Dragon's Code by Gigi McCaffrey, who is the granddaughter. Okay, so basically, like, after Anne uh, quit writing, her son took over for a while. A lot of his books Yay, go Thomas, back in right? time. Yeah. What is the book? A what lot is of this his... book called? Uh, the new one by Gigi is Dragon's Code. I'm looking it up on a local bookshop. Okay. Um... Damn, I want to buy these. Uh, or at least get it. Anyway, um, it is... Oh, it is here. Uh, I can get it... Oh, lucky. Nice. I can get the mass market paperback for like nine bucks. That's not bad. It's still a relatively new book, too. And I, can like, get I think the it came out a couple years ago. hardcover for $27. And this place has free shipping because it's local and they have a truck. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Um, but we yeah, like, like, books like chron- chronologically, chronologically, the, the timeline stops at the end of the, uh, it's the Skies of Pern is the last chronologically. So when Todd started writing, instead of like, furthering the story after the skies of Pern, he went back in time to write about like to flesh out more of the in-between ri- uh, worlds or worlds the in-between stories like um stories of characters who were only briefly mentioned he kind of expands upon the lore of the watchwares because he really enjoys exploring them more than the dragons because he's like these are these guys were created by like dragons too they deserve some love um so like it's it's interesting um part of me really wonders like if somebody was ever given the rights to do Redwall this way what would happen like what if somebody was given the permission to write by brian's estate but i doubt that will ever happen because we've already got like 23 books which yeah. is nothing to sneeze at or we were 22? talking about it with sarpedon in the server about wanting something kind of like the silmarillion for Redwall. yeah like that would be amazing because i want to know more Okay, so Stonefleck does indeed have a big army. All of them rats, all well-disciplined, and all amazing archers. He plans to wait and see if the rescuers survive crossing the river. Slagar says he will move on, trusting to Stonefleck's boast about him and his army's prowess. 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 You did it. Vich Ma- Thank you, are you proud of me? I am. I'm so proud. <laughs> Vich mocks Matameo, saying his father will soon die. Maddie doesn't rise to the cruelties, saying only that his father has beaten rat armies before. And when he does, and Maddie is freed, he will find Vich and settle the score. Before they leave, Maddie whispers a quiet request to Martin keep his father safe. Martin is straight up like a saint, a deity to them by now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um. Me again screaming, what kind of religion do they have, Brian? It's it's the religion of Martin the Warrior. De Martin it, is Jesus. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
On the other side of the shore, the group construct a raft under Logalog's orders. He tells Basil of his plan to cross the river, and the hare quips he doesn't plan to go without a full stomach. No point in being water sick without one. And I put a little note of like, please bring back some of his camouflage skill or his intelligence. He's he's literally just become a one note. Haha, I am a feed bag and a stuffy old hare. It's just like, what happened to the Basil I was starting to like in the first book? We get like, some start- more of his like good side a little bit later. Yeah, but it's still, it's just like, character, it's like slow character assassination. (laughs) Um, The raft is finished around noon. We learn that Cheek is afraid of the river. He's never seen one so deep and fast. Basil teases him and is rebuked by by Jess. (laughs) 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 Just Um, geckers angrily at it. Uh, to his credit, he apologizes and offers support to Cheek. Like, this is kind of his little redeeming moment for me. He does, like, straight up apologize to the kid. And he even offers him support to, like, we'll both stay in the middle of the raft because we're both going to be miserable. Um, so. God. (laughs) They cast off into the river shortly after, watched by Stoneflex's army. At the abbey, Ironbeak and the abbot sit to negotiate. The abbot plays the cold fool to Ironbeak's fl- bluster and threats. This sequence is really well written. I enjoy how the abbot is having to... It's fun seeing Mordalfus playing some of the skills that he saw used during the war by yeah. anyone other than the former abbot. Yeah, um, like he learned what <laughs> not to do from the former abbot and learned mm-hmm. what to do from all of the other warriors. Like, he mm-hmm. himself could also be considered a warrior in this Mm -hmm. situation. Like, he's not the same, but in... Like, okay, okay. (laughs) They really really (laughs) need to have somebody besides just a warrior in, like, Mm -hmm. everything for the protection of their abbey, because, like, you don't win battles with just a warrior. You've got strategists, and you've got, like general and other like leaders and stuff and they just nope we have these people and only one two of them only two of them have a title mm-hmm. this abbot mm-hmm. and the warrior and everybody else is just there mm-hmm. you are you are window dressing um i'm what iron beak no i said well basically i was implying that like the other people were window dressing ah. not you yourself okay okay um he no i'm what <laughs> i didn't understand what you not, not you, not you. I was referring to the other fighters. He demands, uh, Ironbeak demands surrender or the three captives die. The abbot says he cannot agree to it. A vote must be held. It'll take three days. And Ironbeak says they have two. And that's the end of those negotiations. Um, there's actually kind of like a really good little moment where the, he's like, why should I give you this time? You might plot something in, something against me. And Mordalfus is like, we're not that smart. You've seen that, right? <laughs> Straight up playing his arrogance against him. It's very satisfying. It's really good. I mean, like, Ironbeak also is just, like, they're plotting something. But he doesn't know mm-hmm. what. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, like, since we're on a theme of the chapter art, it amuses me, like, this shrew was, like, clearly falling back dead. 
And yet there's not a mark on him because we can draw arrows and we can draw a dead shrew, but we cannot draw an arrow in a dead shrew. So, okay. Something that I have been wanting to say for a couple of chapters now is Uh the, the pacing in this is really, really good, but the swaps between the perspectives are not necessarily as clean as they have been in the past two books. Agreed, you can hear me stuttering when I get to my notes. Yeah. Where it suddenly switches. They swap very suddenly, and it's very rare we get one chapter that is set in one place in this part of the book. Most of the time, the chapters swap between all three plots multiple times. And it gets a little bit like... Because, you know, Mm -hmm. what what? Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to do with that? That's why Kit keeps, like, stumbling over mm-hmm. like the 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 perspective swaps mm-hmm. uh and like yes i know i'm the one who wrote the notes but i have a method that has worked for two books so far and this one is just kind of yeah tripping me up because it's just so like uh, sudden in a way that like like when you read it when you read it, it is actually really good because it all flows yes. really well into each other when you're trying to do a a short recap short recap with everything in a summary, it doesn't work. Right. Whatsoever. Good. So, like, we're doing our best, but the way that this is written is definitely yeah. meant to be read and not meant to be talked about. Right. And so, yet. speaking of perspective <laughs> swaps, the river crossing is going well. The raft is holding. Matthias doesn't trust the quiet on the other side, though. And it's a good thing because Stonefleck is waiting patiently. When they get into the calmer... Closer water to the opposite shore, the rats sprint, sprint, the rats spring the ambush. (laughs) Several shrews fall and the rest flee into the water, clinging to the raft. Stonefleck stops the assault, ready to enjoy watching the horrors in the water pick them off. And the horrors turn out to be tiny, vicious fish. They begin biting and attacking those in the water, except Cheek, who's flattened himself in the center of the raft. Now, what kind of fish are these? Uh. They're they're little mean little fish. They're mean they're, little they're fish mean who just little... keep biting. They just keep biting. Nom 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 nom. It, yeah, it just it makes me think of like legends of like rasulkas and stuff like that, <laughs> where a rasulka is a water ghost from Russia, and they live in ponds and they lure young men to their death. And part of that is that when the young men come into their water, they get caught by water weeds and then stripped to the bone by a little fish. That's one of the ways they can kill a guy anyway. Delicious. Uh, a hmm? feast for those little fish. Delicious. Yes. Man flesh. <laughs> <laughs> we have our energy. Who? Stonefleck is amused and orders no survivors to be taken. He is no slaver. Leave that to Slagar. Logalog suggests they backpedal. It's hard going, but it does slowly work. Annoyed with Cheek's refusal to leave the raft, Orlando swats him off with the axe handle. Like, they're telling Cheek to get off of the raft or else he's gonna get shot. And Cheek is like, absolutely not. No, I'm staying right here. No, fuck the water. Fuck this. Fuck you. And Orlando is like, you are being a little shit. Get the fuck in the water. And then, you know, whap. Yep. And, and he's it, a fucking it, otter. It's so. funny. I feel like it's funny in this situation because it is partially for Cheek's safety. And Cheek immediately is just like, oh shit, I can swim. Oh yeah, and I'm an otter. fish down here. Like, oh yeah, I'm because... an otter. I can yeah. swim. 
Like, you yeah. are such... You are a cheeky little Cheek. Mm-hmm. And Cheek discovers he is a natural in the water. And not only that, the vicious little fish taste wonderful. So he gets to eating them. And he's just... There's he, a really makes... funny exchange later where, like, Cheek pops his head up like, These fish taste great! And Orlando just shoves his head back under like, Keep eating! Yeah, he, he's like... <laughs> What is it? Uh, it's it, he, he's he's just he's like man if I, if I knew there would be so many tasty fish down here I wouldn't have been so afraid <laughs> like you right know, it's, fucking, you're a little it's, shit it's a it's a good exchange I really like that exchange um, realizing what's happening Stonefleck orders flaming arrows shot at the raft and their own fairy to be brought about to pursue them he wants this done now not later further downstream. Cheeks chased off the fish and joins the rest in hauling the raft away. They see Stoneflex raft coming and do their best to keep paddling. And this sequence was very tense for me and upsetting. And I just, I was like starting to skim read here because it was like, don't like this, don't like this, don't like this. <laughs> um, the rats almost make it to the fleeing heroes. Orlando even jumps back onto the raft to challenge them, taking an arrow to the paw. Which he shatters contemptuously. He's just like, this man's such a fucking badger. Yeah. He's such a fucking badger. And I love him. And then we get a freaking like Looney Tunes moment where they're saved by the fact the rats forgot to untie the anchor rope, which stops their raft with a snap. It is very, very but, funny because they were probably just yeah. moving way too fast. Uh-huh. Because they probably don't normally have to, like, unmoor their little raft mm-hmm. to, like, go after people trying to cross the river. Mm-hmm. So they probably just forgot about it. And then it's like, mm, well. Twang. Yeah. Uh, in Cavern Hole, the Abbey Dwellers plot and plow through dinner. John remembers seeing the magpies plundering the orchard and comes up with an idea. Capture the magpies, cut off the supply line, and Ironbeak will be forced to swap the hostages for his magpies. Set bait in the orchard, use fishing nets. Sister May complains about them stealing the strawberries, and it's proposed to lay out strawberries mixed with a sleeping draft. May is more than happy to volunteer to make it. It's fucking hilarious how, like, Sister May is just... She's like, ah, I finally have a chance to use all of this knowledge I have about things what can hurt other animals. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you are devious, ma'am. <laughs> I, She's so I, excited. I put, another, I put another note that, like, I'm worried that something's going to happen to her because all of a sudden she's getting all this attention. And in Redball, Redwall books, that usually means that something really bad is about to happen to the person who is getting all the attention. Or they're being set up to be a hero, but since she is simply Sister May, that is not likely. Um, nothing happens in this particular book, but I'm still, I'm like, keeping my guard like, I don't trust like that, Brian. Anyway. Let's see. Formal offers to help. Ambrose calls the abbot to the cellars, since that's where the fishing net is stored. Oh, Ambrose calls the abbot to the cellars. Reinvigorated, the rest get to their tasks in... So their tasks. Oh, in the <laughs> attic, Cornflower and Miss Churchmouse rock Baby Rolla to sleep. They miss their children and discuss that it is likely they could be killed, but they'd rather that they'd rather be killed than have the Abbey be surrendered. 
Hornflower finds comfort in thinking of her husband and the trio huddle under an old shawl to pass the night. They literally are like, we would rather die than the Abbey be taken, and we would rather die than have them hurt this baby. Like, mm-hmm. Cornflower and Mrs. Churchmouse are ready to just fucking go. They are, mm-hmm. they are all in on this. They are, honestly, warriors here. Like, fucking. Pretty much. I am the in awe. The strength of a mother. I am in awe of them. And, uh, yes. Uh, if they both Big were not, if it. they both were not married, I, I, I would say I am free on Thursday, but they are both married. Uh, so, <laughs> and they're not polyamorous. No. Due to their, due no. to their vaguely, vaguely defined religious system. Vaguely Catholic. Which involves marriage. Vaguely Catholic, yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> Next chapter. That same night, Maddie is awoken by passing muttering guards. He tries to listen, but they're too quiet. Tess is woken up too, and they talk about how edgy and nervous the whole slaver lot has become since they got past the forest. The land around them is brown and dead. Not even any birds are around. They're worried about Jube, who's growing thinner and more dispirited. They all are, having gone through so much trauma after the feast. God. As the as the others awaken, they decide to joke and just a little to lighten their spirits. Like this paragraph got to me because children, because they are children. To quote, they're children. They are children. They're thirteen. They're not thirteen. They're definitely (laughs) younger than that. But they are. They are children, and their brains are still cooking. And now they've got this trauma, so their brains are now gonna rewire themselves to handle the trauma, and it's gonna Mm -hmm. fuck them up. Yep, quite a lot. And, like, these two kind of becoming, like, the de facto leaders in a lot of ways, especially, like, Maddie, who has stepped up to, like, stop being a brat and, like, fill in his father's shoes. And just the pressure on them and the realization that what they thought, like, they were so certain that they would be rescued right away by their parents. And now things are just dragging on and dragging on. And every time they get a little glimpse of hope, it's yanked away. And that wears on a person. It wears you down. You just can't keep hoping like that. Yeah. It, it, it's hard and it becomes almost impossible to keep having that kind of hope because eventually mm-hmm. you just kind of give up. They're still mm-hmm. hoping. They're not there yet, but like it could happen. And yeah. when that happens, like your brain just kind of breaks. Mm-hmm. The rescuers make it ashore and try to plan to avoid the ears. The- avoid the ears? Why did I write what ears? Did you, what did you, what? I think that might have been Google autocorrecting, but I meant to write rats. How did I write ear? Oh, I missed the R and hit the E. The, the RARS? Oh, I know what I did. The I just missed The RARS. <laughs> I meant to write R-A-T-S. I put E-A-R-S. I missed the E and the T. I missed the, you just you fucked um, up. You fucked up so bad. Listen, half the time when I'm writing this, it's late and it's after work. So why do you do that um, to yourself? Like I know why I do this shit to myself. Why do you do this to yourself? Because I'm too busy during the day. Otherwise, because I have other stuff to do. <laughs> um, I might only work in the evening, but I do freelance artwork and other chores because I do help around the house to earn my keep here and help take care um, of horses. Yes, and dogs, and yes. Um, plans to 
The rescuers make it ashore and try to plan to avoid the rats, but it's no good. They've been spotted and make a break for it. They get spotted, like, almost immediately. Like, an arrow hits, like, the the fucking sand next to to Orlando's uh, foot. And they're just like, yep, yep, gotta go. Yeah, poor Orlando's like, I'm sorry, I make a really big beacon. Like, he knows it's him that they spotted first. It's like, Orlando, that's not your fault, sir. Yeah, he's like, that's the trouble with being my size. You make a good target. Let's run for it. Yeah. Um, So they do run for it. And Stonefleck outflanks them and launches another ambush. Matthias is saved from death by an arrow only by chance. It pings off the hilt of the sword instead of his neck. That's that's Martin being like, haha, I got you. Okay, this has got to be Google because it, it there is again the ears charge. That's Google. That was not me if it happened twice. <laughs> the rats charge and Stonefleck face plants after tripping on a root. Um Matthias and Orlando launch an attack to buy the others time. They're able to stun the rats with their ferocity, but only for a bit. And the others have stopped when they heard the fighting, losing any lead they may have gotten. They're like, we can't leave y'all behind. Matthias is like, you fucking should've. Uh-huh. Like, you dumb fucks, go save the children. Mm-hmm. Not us. Lava Log spots a clearing and says if they can get across, they can hold the army off with their slings. It's an impossible stand, though. Slings are no match for arrows, and they're running out of rocks. Anyway. Jess confesses she'd hate to die this far from Redwall, and Matthias agrees. The arrival of Warbeak and her warriors provides a distraction, and Matthias and his group charge to help rescue the birds who are trying to rescue them. Like, this whole sequence feels like a Benny Hill chase scene. It's very slapdash. And Yeah, it's they are having to think on the fucking fly. And they are not doing a good job of it. <laughs> they're, they're doing their best. Uh, their best is not very good. Nope. Um, that that's not entirely their fault, though, because uh, mm-hmm. there is a horde of rats behind them. Mm-hmm. So the Redwallers plan works. The three magpie brothers fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker. They net the birds, and Constance and Ambrose volunteer to let Ironberg, Ironberg, volunteer to let Ironbeak know the new way of things. They stroll out onto the lawn together and call for Ironbeak. Mangiz shows up, asking if they want to surrender. Constance says no, and that they won't speak to him, only Ironbeak. They hurl a few insults, wishing Basil was there to help think up a few good ones. And a thoroughly irritated Mangiz goes to get Ironbeak. I She tells him how it is. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I love how uh, Ambrose (laughs) is just channeling basil like just the good channeling his absolute snark at this bird just being an absolute ass and constance is there to be uh the good guy like no 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 stop that good cop bad cop i don't want to use cop (laughs) anyway um hey cab (laughs) She tells him how it is they have the magpies, and if he sends his warriors to forage, they will be shot or speared from the abbey windows. They prove this by shooting where the strawberries were. Mm-hmm. Like, and it makes Ironbeak nervous. 
Yeah, like, oh, yeah, you guys have a point there. Uh, so he agrees to do the swap. And, or he will exchange, sorry, correction. She says he will exchange the hostages or the magpies will drown. She even drags them into the shallows. She is like reviving the ready to kill them. She is absolutely ready to let these birds drown. It's so like Constance is just like, you guys might be peaceable, but I'm a badger. Badgers are not peaceable creatures. We are warriors. And she, she's just like all ready to do this. She is Mm -hmm. just like staring iron beak down. Like I'll do it. You think Mm -hmm. I won't? I'll do it. After a word from Mangiz, though, he agrees. He will do the swap at sunset. Constance and the abbot know this is likely a trap, but it's the best chance they've got to get the trio back. Now we're back in the forest. Mm-hmm. Where the sparrows are easily felled by the rat's archers. Which I put a note of. You can always tell when Brian wants to start riding, like, big battles or fierce battles because he'll introduce a lot of nameless extras to die instead of the main characters. Yep. So we've got all these, like, sparrows and nameless rats. The red shirts. Yep. He brings in the red shirts. The red shirts before Um, there were red shirts. mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, Star Trek came out in the 60s or the 70s, right? I don't know. The original Star Trek did. Um, the only episode of that that I remember is The Trouble with Tribbles because I remember watching it one, like, all right, I grew up with local TV only. We didn't cable until like 2011 or 2012. Jesus. Um, uh-huh. We li- actually, out where we lived, we couldn't get cable unless it was like the literally extortionist price offered by one specific company. Gross. So it took another company coming in and being like, hey, hey, thank you. And that's when we actually got cable and semi-decent internet. Except they would rate lock us sometimes. Fuck those guys. Um, Rude. But I remember like one morning when I was like seven or eight years old. It was Easter morning. I was all hyped up and excited for Easter day. And I got up and it was like 3 (laughs) a.m. I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to wake up mom or dad yet because I knew they would murder me. So I just turned the TV on and turned it down real low. And what was on TV but the trouble with tribbles. (laughs) So I just watched that until... Yeah, so then I watched that until 5 a.m. when Dad came tottering out and squinted at me because he usually got up around that time anyway for work. And I'm just like, hi, Dad. And he's like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's Easter, Father. What did you expect? What the fuck did you expect from me, your weird (laughs) child? Yes. (laughs) Um, Their distraction works in the rescuer's favor, and the combined forces of the sparrows and the rescuer's skill catches the rats flat-footed. When Logalog manages to kill Stonefleck by throwing his sword, their leader, the rats, break and run. The fighters take a moment to catch their breath. Matthias is heartbroken to see his friend, Queen Warbeak, died in the fight. One of their warriors passed, passes them the vital message that they'd flown so far to deliver, which I hate this. I hate it's everything bad. about this. I it's hate the bad. fact that he killed, he killed her off, off screen, and... It's very just, it's abrupt. It's bad. It's like, sir, sir. Cause she's, she's an object. Mm-hmm. She's a tool. She's a tool. She's not a person. And like any time, like she gets very few moments where she gets to be a person, but otherwise she's just a tool for Matthias. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sir, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. 
So I, Ryan, I, fun, why? fun, fun fact. That is usually how characters that are like stereotyped as being like native or like POC are. They are tools. They are not people. They are tools and resources for the main characters, and that's it. And then they die. Mm-hmm. And it is annoying. And fucking, it's not like it's racist. It's not like saying a slur racist, but it's still racist. Mm-hmm. It's one of Very those things so. that's deeply ingrained in media. And it's like, bitch, no. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Warbeak is buried in the sparrow fashion, laid on a large tree branch and covered in leaves. Her bravery is praised and they all admit how much they'll miss her. They go back to bury the rest of their dead so they can move on. Once they do that, the survivors convene to take stock of their situation. The remaining sparrows head home to report their success, and the Guosim all agree to stay, despite being smaller in number now. Matthias reads the poem, realizing how much it could have helped them earlier, but now they are forewarned and have clues to help them they didn't before. They will rest the night and march in the morning. God. I do kind of like how one of them points out that the, the the poem is almost prophetic, which fits with a lot of the riddle poems that happen in the series. Yeah. Where it's that strange, like, foreknowledge that Redwallers seem to have. Like, they know when something will be important, so they will write down the quest. Yeah. And they're, like, all, like, God fucking damn it. I wish we had this before. And then they read, like, mm-hmm. the rest of it. And they're like, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah, but when they get to whatever it is, it'll still it'll help them. So. Yeah, that'll make sense. Yeah, and in the grand hall, the defenders are puzzled. There's been no movement from the birds, no trap laying that they could see. But the sun is setting, and it's time to make the swap. So they head out to do so. Despite mocking and argumentative words, the exchange goes off seemingly without a hitch, until Ironbeak points out his warriors haven't been with him the whole time. His warriors have looted the orchards while they were unguarded and moved into the infirmary and dormitories. The Redwallers are now in a state of siege, their only safe space being Cavern Hall. Now, I have to say, this exchange took place over the course of, like, three pages. And I summarized it in yeah, one paragraph. Yeah, because first they exchanged Rolo for one of the, the magpies. And then it was... Um, Mm-hmm. It was Rolo for one of the magpies, then it was Constance and Cornflower, I think it was. Constance is not... I'm just, sorry, not Constance, Miss Churchmouse. Yeah, it was Cornflower, then it was Rolo, then Cornflower, and then Mrs. Churchmouse. Uh, there you go. And they all happened without a hitch. Rolo did start singing a song about, like, kicking a magpie and shooting a crow. Yeah. And Winifred was like, nope, <laughs> you go yep. indoors now, honey. Like, sir, you've had enough trouble for one day. Um... Constance says Matthias wouldn't have been outwitted. Cornflower comforts her, saying as long as they're alive, they can defend Redwall until the warriors return. To which I deeply dislike. Here it is again, like, this sudden dependence and aggrandizing of Matthias. Like, yeah, he's the warrior. Sure, he killed Clooney. But who was it who held Redwall together while he was off gallivanting for the sword? It was Constance, the abbot. They defended the abbey. It's like they've all forgotten those like eight years ago that it was all of them who helped protect the abbey and she saved it several times without matthias being there yeah and like 
it's been like eight seasons of them mythologizing what happened. And like, even if they were there, after a while, you do start to believe your own fucking stories. Because it is true that they probably all would have eventually been killed by Clooney if Matthias hadn't come back and yeah. saved them. Because, and it was more of like a, a, I don't want to call it a fluke because it wasn't a fluke, but it's definitely one of those things where like a combination of the arrogance and superstition of the villain with our main hero character who has protagonist disease. Mm -hmm. um, and so the protagonist disease thing continues forward where everybody is supposed to be less competent than the protagonist, except everybody around the protagonist is equally or more competent. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense for them to not be competent. And to yet, be fair to Matthias, too, he doesn't take more credit than he is given in a lot of ways. Like, he is always down to tell his friends, like, this is a good idea, or to ask his friends, what do you think? Yeah, no, he is very humble, um, but it's still, like, like you say, they keep, like, aggrandizing Matthias and, like, his deeds. And it's like, yeah, you were also there. You also did shit. Mm -hmm. Come on. But also, after a while, you do just start to believe this. And also, Constance is getting older and probably is not as, like, yeah. spry as she used She's to be. So she wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to do a lot of what she did before. Like, I don't think she could lift a table over her head again. Mm-hmm. Probably so. The rescuers have one last hearty meal of four. We have salad. swapped back to the adults on mm -hmm. the rescue mission, by the way. <laughs> the set off on a march set off at a march on the trail of the stolen children the barren lands stretch ahead dry and ominous they do this also like in the morning too like ah oh, yes look at this barren wasteland let's go march through it in the middle of summer i don't think any of them know um, what a desert is <laughs> good point actually yes um, the slavers have been running by night and resting by day, which is what you're supposed to do in a desert. Yes. Um, Unless the you're kids in an air-conditioned car. <laughs> I just thought of an old bad blonde joke. Anyway, um, the kids are at their breaking point, sore and thirsty. Cynthia is in pretty bad shape and the only one keeping... Oh, and they only keep going when they spot what they think are trees on their horizon. They reach a huge ravine first, a great canyon spanned by a dangerous-looking rope bridge that dips quite far in the middle. This is the fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. The slavers and slaves alike balk at passing over it, and Slagar's persuasion is this. He takes their water and says they either pass and drink from the pool on the other side, or stay and die of thirst. Now- no, you can't just say he takes their water. No, he yeah. takes it and throws it into the fucking gorge. It's just gone. No more water for anybody unless if they cross the fucking gorge. It is into the bottomless pit. Mm -hmm. Literally, this canyon is so deep that you cannot hear a stone or anything hit the bottom. Yep. Um, so, it's a bottomless just... pit. What? It's a bottomless pit. Yes. Sorry, my brain is starting to turn off. <laughs> That's all right. We're almost done. We're, we're on so like close. page. Yes, we've we've been doing real good. We've been we're we were at like two and a half hours. We are doing a good clip today. Um, 
Okay. Jube and Cynthia are frozen with terror. Maddie has a good idea, blindfolding the pair so they have to depend on Alma and Tess to get them across. Sam isn't bothered by the heights, and it takes poor Tim checking him for him to stop swaying the bridge with a jaunty walk. If Once he hadn't been across... tied up, he would have just grabbed onto like one of the ropes on the side and just scampered. Yeah, like Tarzan across or something. Um, once they're all across, Slagar takes the bridge down, cutting off all chance of retreat. He sets the fucking thing on fire. Mm-hmm. He sets the thing on fire, and then, mm-hmm. like, he runs to the other side, sets it on fire from that end, and then uh-huh. bounds back, and then cuts it off of the whole thing, so it just burns yeah. and falls. Yeah. Just, he's making sure that it is not gonna survive. Which, you have to admit, aside from making sure that um, Maddie and Co, or Matthias and Co are dead, he is very thorough. He's a very thorough villain. Um, again, Mostly. except for when the main character has plot armor, so. Yeah. Uh, like, cause he, he, yeah. he, he, you know, assumes that the rat army would take care of them, which is not a bad assumption to make. They are vastly outnumbered. Also, I like how he's basically going, screw the rats here, and just leaving them on the other side without <laughs> any way to get back to their home. Um, although I think it's like heavily implied that they live there most of the time anyway, so closer to the river. Um, da, 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 da. So now we're back at Redwall. Yes. In Winifred the next chapter. Sh- Winifred shows those in Cavernhole what to expect if they try to cross the Great Hall. She's covered in scratches and pecks after trying to go out. Those down below aren't too worried. There's food and drink aplenty, except for fresh water, and now it's time to plan. So basically with the fresh water, they're like, okay, we cannot take baths. And all of the Dibbons are like, yeah, no baths. <laughs> I always felt like I was an outlier as a kid because I freaking loved taking baths. Um, the Dibbons wanted to be dirty. <laughs> <laughs> There's food. And it's like Winifred pings a bird with a slightly bad turnip. As it had been snooping and spying on them. I just love she's like, yeet in this bird. You hear this little as it gets hit. Um, (laughs) The first two plans are simple and straightforward. The moles will tunnel out and those who can't dig will build a barricade for the inevitable attack to come. And I make a comment of like, I get very deeply concerned with the foundations of Redwall because people are always digging under it. There's all these mysterious tunnels underneath it. There's these mysterious tombs. The moles are just like, we're just going to go dig about anywhere. It's just like, this is a big building. Can we please stop undercutting its foundation with tunnels everywhere? No, never. Uh, now, okay, in the mole's defense, they're very good at tunnel digging. Yes. Like, they're very good at it. And I bet after, like, all of this ended, they probably filled them back in. Yeah, because they're never, like, these tunnels are never mentioned again as far as I know. Yeah. So, like, they probably fill them back in, and it's, so this is, like, temporary, and they're like, this can, this will be fine for the temporary, Mm -hmm. because they're not digging directly, like, they're digging directly under maybe two walls. Yeah. Everything else is under the grounds themselves, Mm -hmm. which doesn't have anything that needs to be supported. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. (laughs) Crossing the wastelands turns out to be harder than the rescuers thought. By noon, they're tired and thirsty. 
To add insult to injury, two buzzards have arrived to harry them and almost make off with a shrew, to which I put a small note that I always forget that in Europe, buzzard is a general term, not just for like vultures or condors, but they use it for like hawks and eagles as well. Um, yeah. Like my friend Fluna, love her very much. She's from Spain. And when we were driving around California, she's like, look, there's an eagle. Look, there's an eagle. Look, there's an eagle. I'm like, Fluna, that's a raven. Fluna, that's that's a hawk. Fluna, that's a, that's okay. That one's actually an eagle. Fluna, that's a vulture. <laughs> like she's just like every every bird is eagle, and I'm over here screaming like no. <laughs> to be fair though, she's multilingual, so um, I have no room to talk. Burb. Uh, it's all burb. burb. All burb. Burp. Uh, they almost make off with a shrew until Sir Harry arrives to the rescue. They're like, oh god, there's a third bird. Wait, oh god, it's an owl. Deus Ex Bardica, times two. I'm divorcing you. The owl has two reasons for coming back. His conscience and a desire to no longer live a solitary life. He wants to he asks, go live at the Abbey, which is totally, yeah. like, understandable. Yeah, the Abbey is he, nice. It's no fun to be a bard if there's no one to listen to you. Exactly. He asks if he can live in Redwall, to which Matthias gladly agrees. Basil gets in a tiff, seeing as he will no longer be the only glutton in the Abbey. He pouts about it, and even... He pouts about it, even. To which it's like... You see why I dislike Basil so much? And, like, yeah, I can see it. He's characterized not very well in this book. He's definitely got Mm -hmm. some, like, flanderization going on. Yeah. Uh, For anybody who doesn't know what the term flanderization is... It is me. It is what happens when a character becomes oversimplified to his most to to their most base components of what makes them the character with very little nuance, aka mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, which is where it comes from. Because at the beginning of the show, he was one thing, and then he just kind of slowly condensed down mm-hmm. to this very like puppet kind of character Mm -hmm. of himself and this is also kind of what people mean when they say like uh like woobification of certain characters um so this he's been kind of flanderized to some of his more base components now also at the same time it's really he's not really written that differently yeah it's the focus is different is what it is the focus on what parts of him we get to see yeah so the, it's, that, it's interesting and eh. Yeah. That evening, they come to the now bridgeless gorge. And they realize this is the area where you can throw a stone and hear no sound. <laughs> I hate it. We get this yeah. comment from Jabez. Jabez shook his head in wonderment. So this is what a broad black band on a map looks like. Because that is what it is like. That is what it looks like on the map that they got from the sparrows. It is just Mm -hmm. a broad black band across the map. And they were like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. And it is a bottomless gorge. Mm -hmm. The dormitory... Oh, back at Redwall. Yep. The dormitories have been pretty well trashed by the birds. Ironbeak has taken the infirmary as his headquarters. We get a funny moment where Mangiz is confused over Sister May's herbs. He's like, these are no good to eat. Why do they keep all this dried grass here? Um, like, Ironbeak, eh, who knows? Yeah. Ironbeak asks if his vision is cleared. It has not. Martin still blocks it. But Mangus says he doesn't need it. He will think of an answer soon. The moles have a merry time making tunnels around the abbey. 
to the pond, the gatehouse, and to their orchard. They're the kitchen is dooting around. <laughs> yeah. The plun the, the plunder. The kitchen is plundered for supplies. The grand table is used for a barricade, and various utensils are purloined for weaponry. Uh, brother, brother, those brother said just very upset about them trying to take all of his pots and pans. He's like, it's no, really I have to cook the with these. Like, barring the needed things for cooking breakfast, of course, Brother Sedge has taken over the role of cook. He's teased by Constance, who suggests he invite the birds down and defeat them by overfeeding them with his cooking. He's just like, he's is so grumpy about this. He's like, God, get out of my I, kitchen. I just, get out of my kitchen. Um, I love this. Rolo is sad that the table is no longer there for him to, like, hide under. <laughs> yeah. But then he gets, he they let him help, like, nail it up. And he's very mm-hmm. pleased about that. It's a it's a it's a quiet moment. Yeah. Like it, I don't very... want to say it's a soft moment because they're all definitely very anxious, but it is a quiet moment. It's very much a calm before the storm. Yeah. Then the moles return with fresh water. Yes, which means bath time. It <laughs> is like, "No! I won't be dirty like a mole. Why can't moles I be dirty? They don't have to take baths." Or as he puts it, "I want to be a mole." Moles don't get baffed. 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 <laughs> and then... Back to the Mangus, Yeah. Mangus has an epiphany. The mouse in his visions is the same mouse on the tapestry. Ironbeak dismisses this until Mangus points out that it must be important to the Redwallers. They try to steal the tapestry... Oh. They try to steal the tapestry and no doubt the Redwallers will come out to defend it. Ironbeak approves... Praising Mangus. And now we have like it, it, a parallel from Redwall where, mm-hmm. you know, the tapestry got stolen. You can kind of already see Brian leaning into like, it worked in the last book. I might as well borrow it here. Yeah. And it's it's not a bad plan because to a degree they are correct. But at the mm-hmm. same time, they're not going to risk themselves trying to save the tapestry like that i don't think i don't remember what happens in the next part of the book but me 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 doing the john cena are you sure about that (laughs) like they might but they're not going to all come out they're not going to leave everything completely undefended they're gonna do what they did before which is sneaky you know because they're not gonna leave the slagger had it right Mm -hmm. the dibbins are the most important things to them yeah like, that's it. The dibbins are the most important things. Like, yeah, that tapestry is important. The dibbins are more important. Yeah. So, but like, they're yeah. not going to leave them unattended at this point. Like, if they do that, they're just bad at being parents at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is the end of book two, which ends on a very quiet, like, rest of note, which is like a very good calm before the storm situation. Yeah. This is, like, right before the, the climax ramps up. Mm-hmm. Because um, we're... The next part of the book is called... Is... Malkaris. So, you know, we're getting Malkaris the polecat, which I learned is a mustelid. I Pole always cats... thought they were skunks for some reason. So in the United States, they're skunks. Okay, thank you. I'm not going crazy. You're not going crazy. In the All United right. States, a polecat is a skunk, which is why I was confused. Yeah. In the UK, a polecat is a mustelid. Oh, all right. So let me, I will get a picture. Pole 
cat because like when you when i was when i was little very little one of my first memories of watching like snow white in the line like i chased a polecat up a tree way out upon a limb and when he got the best of me i got the worst of him and as a kid i was like what the heck is a polecat so i looked it up probably in a dictionary it was in the old dictionary we had and because this was before the internet children or before uh people like my family had the money to have the internet i put it in the <laughs> recording text channel uh-huh it's just a ferret but they're like big they're cute look at that face they're um, big polecats are like big okay not like that's big why. big but they're they're up there bigger yeah um but yes i i so the first time reading this book, I legitimately was imagining a skunk the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yes, that is the end of the book. I'm looking forward to part three. I think I also realized like one reason this book just doesn't stick with me. Like you said, it flows. But the problem with that, it flows like water. I'll read it. I'll enjoy it when I'm in it. And then as soon as I'm not reading it anymore, I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stick with me. It's like I go through it, I have a good time, and then that, then I'm done. I can't even call this like a junk food book because even some of my junk food books I enjoy thinking about and talking about. This one I'm just like, I read it and it's that's it. Although clearly we enjoy talking about it because we've been here for two and a half hours. Yeah. Almost three. I'm now scrolling through the chat to try and find... Uh... Any comments or questions okay. anybody had? Uh, I don't really we did. think there we, we talked about gelatin for a long time. Yeah, we ended up getting hung up on the gelatin thing. <laughs> uh, you or- talked about ground squirrels, which are not a thing in the UK. We talked about things that you could use uh, in slings besides stones. Talking yes. about uh, horse chestnuts. I talked about uh, sweet gum pods. Pi- uh, green pine cones. Pine cones. Uh, I don't think there were any questions because we didn't get any on the uh, Twitter. Uh, no. Reminder: you can ask us questions about the books. You can even if it's about a previous book that we yeah. have read. Please feel free to send us questions that you want us to answer, like yes. in recording. We will answer them. We will talk about it. That's what the last part of our recording is for, is to talk mm-hmm. about this stuff. It can even be like, what is your favorite animal species in fucking this book? Like, it's fine. We will mm-hmm. answer them. We want to have discussions with our listener base. Please send us questions. We want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Fish gelatin, pectin. What was it? Also fucking... <laughs> Like a, a syrup with something that Sarpedon talked about. Well, Ben. His name is Ben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I posted a TikTok of a stoat that where the stoat is just a squeaky toy and they're tiny. Yeah, they're tiny little guys. Stoats and weasels are much smaller than ferrets. Polecats are the same size as ferrets. Mm-hmm. And then badgers, the other mustelid that lives in the UK, are much bigger than all of them. Mm-hmm. But since there were no questions, we will go with our standard three, which is what is your favorite weird Abbey food in this book? And for me, it's kind of like the the cake. The the cake cake. or the deeper and ever pie. Yeah, but that's a standard. I want it. Put it in my face. (laughs) Gimme. But yeah, I I want anything with honey. I want a shrew cake. 
I don't yeah. like dried fruit that much, so if they replaced it with, like, nuts... Well, it depends on what the dried fruit is. I, pre- I would prefer dried fruit over nuts. I would prefer personally. the nuts. I do not like the texture of dried fruit, especially when it starts rehydrating. <laughs> I do not... Me, I'm just like, ah, yes, fun texture. Nom, 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 nom. You can have it. Your texture, my texture, nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Was there an animal that appeared that surprised you or did an animal subvert expectations? I suppose Sir Harry, because, like, I remembered he was uh, yeah. going to be in the story at this point, but the fact that he came back on his own, because he's like, I'm lonely. It's like, oh, I, okay. I have said multiple times that, like, I remember more of the other two books than this one. This book did not stick in my brain whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Didn't remember that there was an owl. <laughs> it's like, as I'm reading, I'll get little flashes of memory the further I get in, but it's like, I have to read something to remember, oh yes, this is the part that's going to happen next. What kind of, what kind of owl is he? Hold on, I'm going to look up owls that live in the UK. Okay. Because he's like I mean, a smaller owl than like General Snow. Yeah. They, they mention what he is. No, they just said an owl. Didn't they just... He could be. Bra- a oh yeah, he's just a brown owl. They say. Yeah. They, although they say, Jabez stumped marched up with a huge brown owl. So he's a huge brown owl. He's a big owl. Yeah, Let's but he's not going to be a long-eared owl. So he's probably a short-eared owl or a tawny owl. Probably I mean, a tawny, since he's described as being brown. Yeah, I mean both of them are brown. Um, British owl species, just making sure that I've got all of them, because... <laughs> okay, why did I... So there's, there's fucking... Give me a list! Okay, <laughs> we've got barn owls. He's not a barn owl. Tawny owls. They have a wingspan of approximately one meter. Jesus. Ooh. They're big. Big, big boys. Uh, let's see. Short-eared <laughs> owls. Uh... Uh, that doesn't give me any size. The long-eared owls, which he's not described as having ears, so mm-hmm. he doesn't have the little feather tufts. There's little owls, which are a type of burrowing owl, I think. They look very similar. Yeah. Uh, And that's it. Those are all the species of owls that live in the UK. That is not a... I always forget that, like, living in the United States, there's so many animals here. And then yeah, I just, we... like, look up the list of animals that are native to the to the UK, and I'm like, that is a short-ass list. What the fuck? Yeah. Whereas I look up species of animals that are native to Alabama. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. it. I just have to look that up. And it's like, yeah. the list is, like, three times as long. Hope you have an hour to read, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, when I was trying to figure out a species of snake I saw here, like, the first summer we were here, I was working, and this snake went by, and I'm like, oh, a baby! So I got a picture of it, went and looked up, and it's like, well, it could be one of three different kinds of garter snakes or gopher snakes. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Uh, okay. yes. Multiple types of snakes. Oh, yes. we did learn that um, viper and adder are used interchangeably in the UK. Yes. We did learn is, that. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite part so far? Honestly, I've enjoyed, like... As much as I griped about it and how I would like to have it as its own book, I've really been enjoying the C-plot with, like, the Red Wallers defending their home without the hero there. Like, them having to use their wits yeah. instead of just depending upon, like, 
Matthias or Martin or you know, that's the thing. Like they haven't even asked. They didn't ask Martin for help at all. This whole sequence, like the only one who asked Martin for help was Madame Ao. Yeah. Also, Maddie was book, the only one who really asked. Yeah. And for a book named after him, he's really not the main focus at all. He really? It's, I made this comment in the server. One of the reasons why this book didn't stick with me is because there are three main protagonists mm-hmm. with Redwall, Martin, not Martin, Matthias. Matthias. And Maddie. <laughs> Take a shot. Being, yeah. Redwall, Matthias, and Maddie being the three protagonists. Yes, Redwall is a fucking protagonist at this point. Oh, very much so. Because we we'll can't lay, we can't put it on any one individual in Redwall. It's just Redwall, and yeah. it, it it flows well together. But it is three different plots that we have to keep up with, and mm-hmm. that is a lot. Mm-hmm. Which explains why ki- like me, I don't remember jack shit from when I read this as a kid. There's no way I was going to keep that much information in my head about one book. Mm-hmm. And I only I read this only a couple years ago, and there's still things that I forgot about. Whereas, yeah. you know, like when we get around to reading something like Tagarung or you know the Pearls of Lutra, I'm gonna be like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, you know, I'm excited for those. I um, love Pearls of Lutra. It's very good. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much it. Like I've enjoyed most of the interactions, like the the moles, the the moles during this. Sequence. The moles are so good. The moles are they always are good. good, honestly. Like again, I still have issues with like the good poor folk, good work, like the good working class folk vibes mm-hmm. that they've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, well, moles right. still We're... good. <laughs> all right. We're both tired. We're both ready to go have, like, Izzy Hungy. needs dinner, and Hungy. I'm ready for my dessert. Um, so I'm going to do the outro now. Outro time. Outro time. Outro. Bum! Uh, thank you for listening to the Abbey Archives. We are grateful you lent us your ears, and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. This has been Kit. You can find me at Kitsy in a Box on Twitter and most of my other socials. I have, like, I have a Buzzly, I've got a Fur Affinity, which I wouldn't mind getting rid of, but I don't have enough people on Buzzly to make any commissions on there. Um, I do art commissions, and I create a little clothes species called the Kitsunday, which are little foxes with dessert-themed tails. They're adorable, and I have too many of them. <laughs> I keep obtaining them. Failure just dragged another person into the Discord. I'm just like, oh, of course it was Failure. It's always Failure. <laughs> it's Failure. But like in a good, affectionate way. Yes, it's like Failure needs to get like an honorary badge of like Kitsunday uh, ambassador. Because <laughs> <laughs> they own like, I think they own a hundred by now. They own, I think um, they own the most of them. They do, hands down. But the, but they also wow. give away um, a lot of Kitsunday. Do. Failure does a lot of giveaways. They're yeah. really awesome. Which, of course, if you want a Kitson Day, if you join the Discord or follow me on Twitter, I have giveaways sponsored by those in the tr- Discord quite often. Yeah. Kitson Days are good. Uh, this has been Izzy. You can find me on Twitter at the Sean Deer. Uh, you can also find the actual play podcast that I am a part of at Hope's Hearth Pod, which is a Hope solar punk actual play where we play a bunch of different GMless games. Uh, set on different worlds uh, in an overarching story narrative. Uh, it's real good. It's really gay. You should listen to it if you don't already. Um, it's, it's great. Uh, I think actually in the next... Actually, maybe 
by the time these come out, I think the episodes we did will either be coming out or be the next thing to come out. Mm-hmm. So that'll finally happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can find the um, podcast collective that we're part of at um, HS Enclave on Twitter for Hearthside Enclave, where you can find information about any streams or uh, new podcasts or anything else that we might be doing uh, within like our community. Uh, or, you know, just follow us at Abbey Archives. <laughs> <laughs> That you can find right. us on Twitter. Yeah. Follow mm-hmm. us at Abbey Archives because we, uh, that's where, like, I am the one who runs the Twitter. I also run the Reddit if you want to. I don't I don't know how Reddit works, but, like, we post in the r slash Eulalia Reddit all the time. Not all the time, but at least once a week because that's, I post the episodes. Uh, you I can am. talk to us there. It's uh, Abbey Archives Pod, I think, is our username. I'm a cranky old woman who refused to use Reddit or get a TikTok. I just don't <laughs> use Reddit at all, really, except for this. I used to, and then I I'm stopped. I'm still on I Tumblr. You're still on Tumblr? I'm still on Tumblr, yes. Oh, that's right. You it's, don't do porn. It, <laughs> <laughs> I have a Twitter and a fur affinity, Izzy. It's not like I don't see it by accident. Yeah, um, but, like, I don't have a Tumblr anymore. I had to leave because, unfortunately, like... With the artwork that oh, I did, that's it would right. have yeah. blacklisted so yeah. fast. I will uh, admit, like, it is, like, a very chill, relaxing place to be now. It's like, I just need to go chill someplace for a while. It's just, it's nice. And they're trying to do shit to bring people back, and it's not working. Because that, that place does not, <laughs> as much as they try to monetize Tumblr, it's not going to happen. They viciously fight against it. It's so much fun to watch. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to come back. Act as weird as you can to keep people off the site. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Oh, man. Okay, That's I want to do there. the outro. Do the outro. Okay, okay. May your hearth be warm and your heart be merry. From us to you at Redball Abbey. Bye. Bye. Gotta do a clap. Gotta do a clap. Clap. Scoot, 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 scoot. Do you want to do it at the 25? Yes. listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!